This week we are jumping back in for the next couple of weeks into a series we did earlier in the year that we called Making Room for Others. And, um, and, and really just thinking about the implications of what it means for us to transition as a church from one service to two and stuff like that. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 18. Um, if you don't, the words will appear at some point as we go on this morning. So we've just finished, um, as a church, we've just been going through the book of Colossians, um, which is a, essentially a letter written to the church in Colossae by this guy called the Apostle Paul. And one of the big themes that we've been exploring in that series is this uh, idea that as, as followers of Jesus, uh, we're called to, to live in a different, a different story, a different narrative uh, to the world around us, and that Jesus calls us to live in a, in a better story, a story that trumps all other stories. And uh, for those of you who have been around for that series, you will know we looked at some different themes in the book of Colossians about what it means, what the implications are uh, for living in a different story. And you'll remember uh, at one point Paul instructs the church on on how to be family, uh, what it means uh, to be a family. And and essentially what he says is if you're going to live in an alternative story, Um, then this is what it means to be a wife. This is what it means to be a husband. This is what it means to be an employee. This is is what it means to be an employer. This is what it means to be a parent. Or this is what it means to be a child. And um, you might remember that we said that that the Bible's um, instruction towards parents and children are, are some of the most counter-cultural statements given, you know, really given the context that, that much of the, the New Testament was written in. And uh, you may remember we quoted from a, an article that was called How Christianity Invented Children. And, and really what this article was saying was that, um, that the way our culture readily kind of accepts and values children, that actually we what we don't realise is that that wasn't the norm. That in a, in a Roman and Greek culture, um, attachment to children was seen as negative or even weak. Um, that, that children were seen as objects and not people. Um, in the Roman world, um, which is really the backdrop of much of the New Testament, uh, children were routinely beaten. Uh, and fathers in the Roman culture, had a right to kill their children for any reason whatsoever until they came of age. And so so these Christians, these these early followers of Jesus who expressed a different value or worth towards children, effectively changed the way much of our culture values children today, so much so that we don't even notice that, that that would be an issue. We take that for granted. And so in the kind of short time that we've got this morning, I wanted to think a little bit about children, given what we've just done uh, as, a, as a church family, but also just in light of our future, you know, as we transition to, 
two services? What part does our children have to play in that? And so, and so really the question we want to think about is, um, what does it mean for us to be called as a church family to be people who invest in the lives of our children? Now, I'm conscious that when we talk about children, particularly in the context of church, it's a, an emotive subject, uh, that we, we all have different thoughts and ideas about what that means. But I want to suggest just one thing this morning, um, and really just take a few moments to unpack that. And it's this thought that you, you've heard the saying, it takes a, it takes a village to raise a child, didn't you? Well, actually, it takes a church um, uh, to, to raise a child. And it's, it's not just the job of parents, although they have prim- primary, the, the prime responsibility. It's not just the job of those who invest their time in, in our kids' ministry. Uh, it's, it, you know, to, to, to bring life and, uh, to our kids. But actually, it's all our jobs. We all get to invest. We all get to be involved in, 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 in what our kids experience in the life and the context of the local church. And although our culture nowadays values children very differently to an ancient world, um, in many ways our kids still have a bit of a PR problem. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, according to one UNICEF report, British young people are the unhappiest in Europe coming 21st out of 21 industrialised countries. According to the Children's Society and their Good Child Report, at least half a million children in the UK aged 5 to 15 have a low well-being at any given time. And as the Archbishop of Canterbury urged us in one of his New Year's messages, he urged our country not to give up on our children. The fact that he needed to remind us of that is a statement in itself. Also, in, in our lifetime, child poverty is on the increase, uh, with one campaigning group claiming that one in three children live in poverty. And so we have to acknowledge that our culture thinks there are some serious problems uh, with the coming generation, with the, with the generation that's coming up. And, you know, the church on the whole has a problem too. I don't know if you, you've noticed this. Um, as one commentator said, he says, uh, we've tried to keep young people in church by appealing to parents' drive to educate their kids. But the once thriving Sunday school movement uh, is on its last legs. The 20th century saw attendance drop from 6 million in 1903 to less than half a million in 1998, despite an overall increase in the population. So despite all our attempts to provide relevant programs, it statistically says that 87% of teenagers who left church did so because they thought it was boring. And, and this, the decision they made was made when they were somewhere between 8 and 10 years of age. I was, I was brought up in church, and I was part of a Christian youth group. In fact, Tammy and I uh, were part of that same group. And there was probably, uh, at its peak, probably about 100 of us in that group. 
Yet, to the best of my knowledge, maybe 10 of us are still identifying as followers of Jesus and still connected to a local church. One set of stats says that every, for every 10 kids in a youth group, three will be in church in 20 years from now. And according to uh, one um, researcher who presented these figures to the Church of England Synod, he said 39% of Anglican churches have no one attending under the age of 11 49% have no 11 to 14-year-olds attending, and 59% have no 15 to 19-year-olds in their congregation. And so these reports look quite bleak, and that's because it's even more disturbing to think the optimal age that someone chooses to follow Jesus is between the age of 4 and 14. In fact, 71% of people who call themselves a follower of Jesus became a follower of Jesus before their 15th birthday. So when we look at that, we sometimes think there's something wrong. And so how do we respond? How do we, as the church community, how do we book the trend? How do we uh, raise kids in our church that go on to be lifelong followers of Jesus, that go on to be our next leaders, to go on to be our next church planters, to to be people who are sold out for this cause of the kingdom. Well, let's start in Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. And it says this, it says, At that time the disciples come to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This seems to be a question the disciples ask quite a lot. You know, which of them would be first? Which of them would be the greatest of Jesus' disciples? And continually, Jesus responds by revealing something of the nature of his kingdom in, in, in his response. And so he goes on in verse two. He calls a little child to him and he places the child amongst them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like, a, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to drown in the depths of the sea. That's a cheery one, isn't it? You can stick that on your fridge when you get home. (laughs) So there's many things we could say about a passage like this. You know, there's lots of um, detail in what Jesus is saying. But today, for the sake of what we're thinking about, I just want to take it on face value. Okay, I just want to... Take it on face value. And if we take this passage on face value, then Jesus is effectively saying, do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, become, if you do, you need to become like a child. Do you want to be great in God's eyes? If you do, then become like a child. Do you want to welcome and receive Jesus? Then welcome others like children. Do, do you want to avoid judgment and punishment? 
then don't lead children astray. Do you want to identify with God's plans? Then, then don't despise the young. And so as we take this passage at face value, it seems clear to me uh, that Jesus' perspective is that children have an important part to play in his kingdom. And so the challenge for us and the challenge for us this morning as we engage, you know, particularly as we've engaged in this this practice of dedication is how do we become a church? How do we become the church that Jesus wants us to be in relationship to uh, our children? How do we live out that mantra of it takes a whole church to raise a child? And so quickly, I've just got three, three suggestions that we, we, meet, we might want to do in trying to answer that question. They all begin with R, in good sermon fashion. And, and the first is, is relationship. See, one of the descriptions used to describe the church in the Bible is that of a family. That, that, that the church is the family of God, that it's not bound by um, genetics. It's, it's, the church is like a big surrogate family. And the, the language of church and family is used consistently throughout the scriptures, where God is our father, and we're his adopted children. And we're to think of each other as brothers and sisters, mums and dads, and, and children in Christ. And so, as a family, as a church family, whether we're married or single, young or old, whether we're parents or we're childless, um, like it or not, we're all called to be mums and dads, uncles and aunts, big brothers and sisters of all our children in our church. See, that commitment we collectively made this morning that as a church family, we promise to help every child grasp the goodness of Christ and his kingdom is something that we're all committed to. That we're committed to partnering with our parents uh, in the life of our church so that one day our kids will become all that they're meant to be. That they, they will live out their destiny. That they will get so uh, enamoured with, with the, the picture and the story of Christ, that they go and change the world. And I think it's important for us to know that as we continue to grow as a church, as, you know, as we transition to two services, that all of us have a job to play in building relationship with our kids. That it's not just the paid staff of the church. It's, it's not, not just the task of, of those who serve in our kids' ministry. That we're all called to invest relationally with our children. Now, the reality is, is a practical way you can do that is to get involved in our kids' ministry, and our youth ministry. Every week, we've got a team of dedicated people who invest relationally in the lives of our kids. And you too, you can too, as long as you have a DBS check. Okay? And so you can do that too. You can be involved in shaping young lives. You know, we don't do kids ministry here in the life of our church to solve a childcare issue. 
We don't do it to simply get rid of the kids, put them out of the way. We do it because we believe we want to invest in their lives. And by investing in their lives, we, we make a difference. As a church, we have six different kind of things that we are investing in to kind of shape our mission and vision as a church. And, and one of those things is this, that we want to invest in the next generation. And we say, we say this, he says, our children and young people aren't just the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today. But we know what we invest now will bear fruit in the future. And we want to have environments where our children and young people can thrive in their pursuit and followership of Jesus, where they can fall passionately in love with him and discover the cause of his kingdom for themselves. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? And so as a church, and as we continue to grow and welcome more children into the life of the church, could you be a person who makes that happen? Could you be a person who invests in a young life? Could you be a person who helps make a difference? Could you be a person who gives a couple of hours a month to build relationship with some of the youngest members of our church? You know, the church I grew up in uh, was a small brethren church and um, and, and Sunday school, it didn't happen during the morning, it was in the afternoon. And there was this, this guy uh, called Uncle Ivor. And every Sunday, it's not weird, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's only because we live in 2017 that that sounds weird. Um, uh, but Uncle Ivor was married, and he had a wife. And each Sunday afternoon, we would go to their house, and they would tell us Bible stories... And we'd play games, and they would give us sweets. That's where it ended. Okay, I see where your mind's going. Um, but it wasn't difficult stuff. But it had a lasting impact. And, you know, I grew up and grew out of that church, and they probably did that for another 30 years after. And I remember, um, you know, I remember that like yesterday. I remember that investment that this old simple old couple made in a bunch of kids and transformed their lives. Now, it doesn't seem significant at the time, does it? Telling a bunch of Bible stories, singing some songs, and giving them sugar. Um, but you know what? That investment was key for me. That investment probably changed my life. That investment probably set the trajectory for the rest of my life and what's to come. And so we can invest in the lives of our children through relationship, but we also invest by being role models. If our children are going to be adult followers of Jesus, then they need adults around them who show them what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like. We have a saying in the Vineyard family of churches is that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do the stuff. Everybody gets to do ministry in the life of the church. And you and I get to model what that looks like to our kids. You know, one of the things that we do with our girls is that um, we want them to, to see what a healthy prayer life looks like. And so every morning, uh, we choose to have breakfast together. 
It means you have to get up early. Um, and this might not work for you. Um, but we, we have breakfast together. And, um, you know, and we've got the full range. We've got a, a seven, six-year-old. <laughs> and we've got a teenager. Okay, almost teenager. She thinks she's a teenager. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, we, we sit down, we have breakfast together, and then we pray. And some mornings they look at us and like, oh, really? Do we have to do that again? We prayed yesterday. And, um, but then other times our kids pray the most profound things. And, and what we, what we realize is, is we're just modeling something to our kids. That every day we're meant to go to the Father for our daily bread. Uh, that we're meant to come towards him for our provision. And so that each day, whether it's reluctantly or joyfully, we get to pray as a family. And, you know, none of us um, pray, you know, with big words or put on a funny voice or anything like that. We just model to our kids that prayer is talking to God. That's simply what prayer is. And so, and so we as adults have the privilege of modeling what that looks like. Another way that we can all serve as role models um, towards our children is in worship. You know, our kids um, purposely stay in, in this environment for our worship for a reason. And it's not because the kids' ministry people don't want to do it for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. We do it because we want to model something to our kids, and it might get noisy, and it might get distracting, and it might get a little bit full in here on times. But we want our kids to know what worship looks like. And so when we as adults in this room make the choice to worship, as we did this morning, we're modeling something. But if, if our worship, you know, if we arrive here on a Sunday morning, you think, I've got here late, I can't even have a coffee, all the donuts have gone. And so if, if the sum of our worship is just staring into empty space, we also model something else to our kids. And so one of the best ways to be healthy role models for our children is for, for us as the adults to be passionate, engaged worshippers of God. And so what would that mean for you? What does that look like for you? How could you be a role model to some of our kids? How could you show what it looks like to follow Jesus? Now, what I'm suggesting might sound really simplistic. Yet, it's meant to be simple, isn't it? That's what Jesus said. He said, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we we get to invest in our kids relationally. We get to be role models. But we also have to take seriously our responsibility. You know, the stats are scary. You know, some of those statistics that I read out at the beginning are quite scary. 
And the problem is, no matter how well-trained, how skilled, how spirit-filled, how creative our kids and youth leaders are, they're seriously outnumbered. I don't know if any of you have been watching the tennis. You know, Andy Murray's gone from being British to Scottish, hasn't he? Um, uh, But a tennis player, at his peak of his game, or her game, they can serve a ball at like 140 miles an hour. Uh, They can have a powerful backhand. They can have lightning fast reflexes. They can have a physique of an athlete. Yet take them off a tennis court and put them in the middle of a football pitch. And no matter how great they are, no matter how well-trained they are, they're never going to be able to defeat 11 attacking footballers. And you see, our kids' ministry and our youth ministry is not a solo sport. It's not a solo effort. We're all meant to be involved. We're all meant to be able to uh, get involved and invest and take responsibility for our kids. And so this autumn, as we transition, as we go from being a church that meets once on a Sunday morning to being a church that meets twice, how could some of us begin to step into that responsibility? How could some of us be inspired to think, you know, we, we love and appreciate all that our kids and youth team do. How can I take some responsibility and invest alongside them? How can I get involved? Some of you might think, you know what? I hate kids or they scare me. You know, the little ones really scare me. You feel like you're going to break them. Um, um, but, you know, you might think, I can't do that. Well, you know what? There's loads of other things you can do to serve our kids' team. You know, there's, there's administration of what we do. You know, we, you know, we take seriously safeguarding. And in order to take safeguarding seriously, we need people who, who are wired in an administratively way to kind of make all that happen. Maybe you think, you know what, I can serve our kids' ministry by doing that. Or I could serve our kids' ministry by, you know, just being on the check-in area every Sunday morning, making sure parents are checking their children in and everything's all fine. So there's loads of ways that you can serve our kids, not just the activity uh, on a Sunday morning. And so as we make this transition in September, we would love to recruit at least another 10 people to come and get involved in our kids' ministry in some way. And so our kids and youth and everything in between is really an important part of our church community and each one of us have a part to play. Each one of us have a part to play in building relationship. Each one of us have a part to play in being a a role model. And each one of us have a part to play in taking responsibility. And so I think there's a couple of ways we can respond this morning. We can corporately recommit to doing that thing. You know, we have... um, including babies, about 90 children in our church. Um, Thankfully, they don't all show up on a Sunday morning. Um, But we have responsibility for 90 children. That's a third of our church. And um, 
And so what would it look like for us to recommit to those things? Recommit to building relationship. Recommit to being role models. Recommit to being and taking responsibility. And so that's the first thing we could do as a response this morning. The second thing we could do is we can pray. We can pray for our kids and we can pray for our parents because they need our prayer. Um, You can pray for me. Um, I live in a house with four women. Um, And you can get practical. You can be practical. As I've said, you can be involved. And, um, you know, the Lord is doing some wonderful, wonderful things in our kids and youth. It's an amazing, wonderful thing to see. And as I said, they're not just the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. But what we invest now shapes what tomorrow looks like. 